Hello and welcome. This is Story You Talk Radio, and I am your host, Coach Debbie. It is always a delight to be with you live at four o'clock here, Pacific Time, in Seattle, Washington. We're having a beautiful day today. And if you're catching the Encore show, we offer that on Friday mornings on the drive to work for those of you who are driving to work these days, or uh, we we offer that also in Apple Tunes, Podcast One, SoundCloud, whatever method it is that is best for you to catch the show, I am always thrilled that you are listening, and I welcome you to participate. I keep my Facebook page open throughout the show, and if there's anything at all you'd like to talk about, we can talk about it. But if you'd like to follow the theme of the day, today we're really looking at five ways to handle the crisis and chaos of story. And it doesn't really matter if that's your real life story or your fictional story. Everybody loves a good crisis. You know that. Everyone loves a little drama. Uh, but we get tested when it comes into our real life. It's fun to make it up. But when it's self-imposed, and in today's world right now, there, there's a lot of imposition going on. How do we navigate the crisis and the chaos And one of the secrets you're going to learn today is that in in fictional writing, there's a certain level of control you have to manage over your characters for the crisis and the chaos to work out well. We, We like for for our readers and listeners to just come away from the story and think, ah, that just worked so well. But really, all of us writers, we're working hard at our technique and our skill to to take that, that story to crisis and then to work it out. It, it's supposed to look magical, but but there is a certain level of skill in it. And yet, in our own real lives, we're constantly looking for a little more skill when crisis, chaos, tension, drama, pain, whatever comes our way. So today, I I want to assure you, first and foremost, that you probably have more skill at this than you're really aware of. And today, I want to wake up some of that skill. So I invite you to call in with any question or comment you might have or to post it on my Facebook page, which is Coach Debbie, and that's spelled D-E-B-B-Y. You can also write on my personal Facebook page where I have some, some radio links. You can just put a comment in there. So my personal Facebook page is Debbie Handrich. It's just like it sounds. Debbie, we just said, was D-E-B-B-Y. Handrich, H-A-N-D-R-I-C-H. 
and it is open for comments from the public, so anyone can comment today, ask a question, or if you want to stay anonymous, you can just go right on over to Facebook Messenger and type in your question. I'll do my best to get to my email after the first break, and that is askcoachdebbie at gmail.com. Again, Debbie is D-E-B-B-Y, askcoachdebbie at gmail.com. So just diving into some programs I have available, because even... Even the coronavirus can't keep me down. I've, I've got writing programs for you. And you might be really feeling called to share your story of faith, of inner guidance, of intuition, maybe your story through 12 steps, whatever it is. If you really want to learn how to work with those stories, I am taking writers on a journey for 90 days. You can do it right out of your own home, and you will get a lot of individual care through this. It will begin April 15th, and if you want to know anything more about that, just write to me, Facebook me, knock on my door, call into the show, whatever. Just get in touch with me. And we will find out if this is a good program for you. I have eight seats for this program, two of which are filled, so six to go. And if you're interested, I would love to have a conversation and find out again if this feels like a good fit. I want you to know that Eric Ryder, as he always is, is in the studio today making sure everything goes well. So let's just say hi to Eric today. How you doing, my friend? Hey, good afternoon, Debbie. I'm doing all right. How are you holding up? I'm holding up really well, but I got to say, I really miss coming to the studio. And I, I definitely miss seeing you as well. So hopefully this uh, quarantine thing <laughs> will come to an end <laughs> here before we know it and uh, we'll be able to see each other again. Oh, that's positive thinking. I always I always love your positive words. And my my hope is that any of you listening are finding ways to delight in positive moments. I, I know it can feel heavy, but today we're going to dive into five ways that we can get back to feeling good about the days and how we might handle our crisis and our chaos. One thing I just want to say off the bat is if you can go through this time with someone you trust, do it. It seems obvious, but when we have all this language in our media around self-isolating or when we have the language of settling in place or distancing, six feet distant, all that stuff, we start to feel like we're in this all by ourselves. And sometimes all we have to do is turn our head to the left or to the right, or even take our attention to our phone where we might see our friends on FaceTime, 
I have this really great app called Marco Polo where you can make a, a video for a friend and just leave it in the cloud. And as soon as they have time to get to it, they see your video message and they reply back. Marco Polo. I, I promise you Marco Polo is not paying me, paying you, paying anyone to talk about this. But I, I just find it's a really nice way to not feel isolated and to remember there are people all around us to trust. I live in the West Seattle area where I do lots of writing and I help other writers, especially first, second, and third time authors, draft their book in 90 days. And one thing I'm hearing from writers is that they're feeling more and more alone. And it's because they're they're being more and more alone. They're not going to the coffee shop and doing their writing. They're not going to their writers groups anymore. And they're really feeling the aloneness. One thing I want to remind all of us is that we are going through an isolation together. You don't want to take that for granted. So even though even though it is real when you're writing alone or you're not going to work and you're feeling alone or your days are mostly spent alone, it really is important to remember that every single person on the planet in some way, shape, or form is being advised to go through this time and we're all, in that sense, going through it together. So you might want to remember that there was a time in your life when you were going through something and nobody else that you knew was. You know, maybe it was, maybe it was a time of divorce and you just felt very isolated. Or maybe it was a time when you were really being picked on at your job. Right now you're not going to work and... Those who were picking on you aren't. Uh, but, but in recent past, you might have been feeling picked on. There are also times in which maybe you were, maybe you were separated from your children and they're back living at home because they can't be at the university right now. And so they're with you. There have been times in your life when you had to go through something. I certainly know there were times in my life when I was going through something and no matter who I reached out to, it seemed that they were not. I was going through a divorce, but they were not. I was going through a hard time at work, but they were not. Right now, we're all going through a time in everyone in the whole world, we're all going through a time where this thread of pandemic is in our life. And for some of us, it feels much bigger than for others. I, I have to say, I feel very lucky that the thread of this is not bigger in my life than it could be. I, I, 
I know that if I was still working at the college, the thread of this pandemic would feel much bigger. So I consider myself, for many reasons, one of the lucky ones. And because of that, I, I wanted to come here today and talk about ways that we can make crisis and chaos feel like we're not completely alone, like we are going through this to some degree together, and just remind you from my experience of writing and teaching how our characters work this out, how we might learn from those characters. So again, I invite you, if you are on Facebook, head on over to Facebook Messenger and just send me a little note, a question, something you might like to comment on regarding our topic today, or anything that's going to help keep you sane and healthy and happy during this time. It is a really, really big ride, I'll tell you that. And one thing that writers understand is that you know, times of crisis and chaos are, are the big depth of a journey. Many of you know that I studied Joseph Campbell and really got into the depth of what does it mean to be a hero on a journey. Joseph Campbell coined the notion of a hero's journey, and I taught many classes around What does it mean to be an outsider? What might it feel like to be an outlaw? How might we relate when we are outcasted? What does it feel like to be on the big journey of life when you're at the lowest, lowest point? And how do we, the characters of our own story, how do we navigate our way through that? Well, one thing I can tell you about writers is that if we are committed to journey, we are also committed to hearing the idea that there is a call. There is a call to write down our story. And we take our own characters through these phases of a journey so that the characters show and illustrate a story. And keep in mind that any character we work with has to be believable. I mean, you can sit back and say, oh, this is all fiction. But any character in a fictional story is only real to us because they're believable and they're following some sort of path, some sort of journey that any of us might live through. That's what makes great writing. You see it all the time in your favorite stories. My sweetheart and I, we just finished watching from beginning to end all six episodes of Parenthood again. If you ever saw that on Prime TV between 2010 and 2015, it was just an amazing show about siblings and growing up and all the stuff we go through. But what made it such a hit 
was that it was totally believable. Every little bit of it. It wasn't far-fetched. And they, each character, all four siblings and the families they created, went on quite a ride. They went from being in kind of what we'd call an ordinary world. That's a term, again, from Joseph Campbell's works of the hero's journey. They were very ordinary, but they went through a series of events where each of them were called to step it up a bit. And we call that the call to adventure, where your life all of a sudden has some crisis, some chaos, something big where you you have to answer. But if you don't answer, if you're if you're feeling too weak or too vulnerable or too scared, you'll do what we call refusing that call. You'll do everything you can to get away from it. And there's a lot of ways to get away from it. In parenthood, we saw people get away from it by uh, indulging in alcohol. We saw people crashing their cars. Uh, we saw some sexual indulgence. Uh, one character got pregnant. Um, we, we saw people refusing the call by turning away from great advice of possibly having surgery. There were a lot of other ways. And I, I can say this confidently that I'm not ruining the story for you because these are all believable things that we do. And we do them because we're in crisis. We do them because we're facing chaos. And even in these times, there are ways that we can navigate and feel supported. Just like the characters we watch in Parenthood or any other story we love. So when we come back to the, from this first break, we're going to get into some of the strategies and I'm going to start taking your calls and questions. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Marilyn Milano. If you love animals, then please check out my new show, Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays from 9 to 9.30 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. I'll be talking with rescue groups, animal advocates, and other organizations that help animals, sharing their stories, and giving our listeners some tangible ways in which they can help make a difference. That's Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Raising awareness, touching hearts, and saving animals' lives. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. 
Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Organic, free range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk, 1150. And welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. If you're just tuning in, we are looking at five ways to handle the crisis and chaos, whether you're working with fictional characters or whether you're working with your own life and the characters in there. Or even if you're working with your own character, <laughs> we can all use a little character development along the way. And in today's times, especially if you're listening live, we're kind of in this together right now. The good news is we don't have to go through all this chaos and 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 um, crisis, drama, whatever you want to call it. We don't have to go through this totally alone. We can reach out to others and be asking for help along the way. But most of us have some experience of some story along the way where we just felt like we were the only one going through it. And we had to find someone that would help us out, which is another tip that I want to offer you today is allow someone Allow someone that's already been through it to share with you the possibility. And what I mean is let yourself have a mentor. Let yourself have someone to look up to. Let yourself have a sponsor. I know someone that became very, very influential in AA was was someone who was really sought out and called on. We in uh in AA they have what's called um a, a phone list. You know, somebody that, that just was always at the top of the phone list. But when he tells his sobriety story and how hard it was that it took three times for him to get sober, I I will say, anytime he shares that story I sit and I listen intently. And there's this part he comes to when he talks about the crisis of trying to stay in recovery, which just basically means resisting going out and getting drunk again, resisting the notion that you can do it on your own. He was really trying to stay in recovery. And in 12-step recovery, there's a process where if you so choose, and hopefully most do, you can work with a sponsor. So back to my point, this is somebody that's already gone through it. And they're just looking out for you. They're, they're, not, they're not your preacher. They're not your parent. But they've, they've been through the walk. And they've been through the crisis. And they've been through the chaos and the drama. And my friend told me this, and it, it's really stuck with me. He shared that when he was in the early days of recovery, his sponsor said to him, believe that's what I believe until you can believe it. 
believe that's what I believe until you can believe it. Now, when I first heard this, I thought, I can't wrap my head around what that means. But it took me some time, and I realized the sponsor was saying, believe that I know you can stay sober until you can believe it. That was basically it. Believe that I know you can stay sober until you can believe it. In other words, know that I already know you'll stay sober. But you got to believe it. This, this was just an incredible turning point for the friend and probably for many, 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 many people that have walked through alcohol recovery or maybe even gambling recovery or other types of recovery. I know for me... The recovery I went through was for friends and family members where there is alcoholism or neglect or anything else. And what I came to understand with my sponsor was that she was living in this future place that I would get to if I could just believe in it. But it was my job. It was my job to understand that even though I felt so much crisis, even though I felt so much chaos, I would get to that sense of possibility that she could see for me if I was willing to believe in it. Now, a lot of that talk just feels like hocus pocus to people. But there have been times in your life where you had to believe and it all worked out and then years later, when you look back on it, that crisis feels so little. You're going through bigger stuff now, way bigger stuff. That's kind of the magic sometimes that authors reveal when they're working with their characters. They're showing you different characters in different phases One's going through just sort of a mediocre crisis. Another one's going through kind of a bigger one. You, you have more empathy for them. And then someone else is going through one that is just so big. You're not sure if they're going to get through it. You know what? That's, that's a lot of how real life is. And right now, it's possible you're thinking... You're in the biggest crisis you've ever had to face. But it's also possible that there are people around you that are leaning into that possibility and knowing and belief in you, just like a sponsor does, just like a mentor does, just like a coach does. They are believing in you because they see the potential. They see the future you're about to step into. You're in the hard task of carrying the, the, the crisis on your shoulders. But they're in a more privileged place of watching you work it out. They believe it. They know it. As a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous would say, they know you'll get sober. They believe in your recovery. 
there was a time when I was going through something so big and so huge. And I had some friends in alcoholic recovery and, you know, they had a good amount of what they call time. They, they had a several number of years in which they had been uh, in recovery and had not drank anything and really felt strong that they weren't going to drink again. And I remember thinking, I wish that could be my problem because that looks smaller than the one I'm going through. You know, things are so relative. When we're going through something, the biggest problem that seems to be in the whole wide world is the one we're carrying. I know that I know from my own perspective, no matter what I'm going through, I always think, nope, 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 I got the biggest problem in the world. Yep, me. I should get the award for biggest problem. You know, I can carry big, 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 big problems. And that's just, that's just a matter of me losing all perspective and being really weighed down by my problem. And really, again, getting uh, away from the present moment and into just the whole psychology and analysis and judgment of the problem instead of really sitting and being with the fact that I'm probably going to be okay even though I don't have an answer right this minute. But that if I could come back to that present moment, I probably wouldn't feel so darn burdened. I could probably join in the feeling that a sponsor or a coach might have for me and see possibility and potential. So let's just let's just talk for a moment about how men deal with this and how women deal with this. Uh, for one, women are often deeply the nurturers, not always, but often the nurturers, and they take on a certain amount of worry. And they have a hard time asking anyone for help. They hope that their partners will will fill in some of the gaps and help, but they're not as good at asking for help because it's it's a nurturing quality. And all I can say is keep track of where you've been and really reflect on it so you can refine it. I say this to the woman the woman or the more nurturing person because we do learn from experience. And if we can track the experiences where we've had crisis or we've had chaos, we'll remember that now, now looking back, it looks smaller and we can sort of refine, what did we do back there? Because there was a time when we didn't know what to do, but we did figure it out and we did get through it. What did we do? How might we refine that and how might we look at those patterns so we can apply that again? Men, on the other hand, and not all men, but often more of a masculine characteristic is to not ask for help because of this notion that they provide. 
Women, we feel it on more of a nurturing level. Men feel it on more of a provider level. It's not across the board. Plenty of women like to provide. Plenty of men like to nurture. <laughs> my knees don't fit under my desk, so I keep bumping it. I'm sorry. I'm probably making a lot of noise here. But I want to, I want to stress this idea that even, even while men tend to be more of the protector and the provider, and women tend to be more of the nurturer and the worrier, when these characteristics, not necessarily the sexes, but when these characteristics come together, they can really work well together and make a strong whole, especially if they know how to ask for help and they know how to lean into their skills. I was looking for men who could comment on this, and one dear friend wrote in and shared that that this is a time where he feels like there's a certain amount of crisis around him, and it's definitely on his mind. But as he says, I find myself grateful and in a better situation than most. I am able to help my family right now. I'm able to be there for others, and I'm even able to stay quite focused at work. It is a priority of mine to make sure that family is well taken care of, that they're healthy, and that they're sane. I have some fears of what could happen if anyone falls ill. What are the contingent plans that my family members might have in place or be thinking of? Or is there a certain level of uncertainty? I prefer to take the worry away from the people in my family. At least I can help their fears if I can remove their fears. Some fears are basic. At night, I find myself listening to meditation and helping myself fall asleep with deep breathing techniques. I know it's important right now that I stay physically active. Others in my family have their own tactics. This is what works for me. Right now, I just want us all to be happy and to be healthy and to feel safe. Now, what I know about this friend is that, you know, he's a very strong, capable, able man. And I also know that because of that, it may not be his instinct to turn and to ask for help when he needs help. But what I find is that even even he who says right now he's feeling grateful that He's not going through the worst of it, and he knows it. He's not ill. He is healthy, is strong. What I know about him and and most of the men in my life is that now is the time, even if, even if in this moment we don't have to ask for help, now is a very good time to just be willing to hear others when they do call for help and to be open 
to asking if, in fact, we end up needing it. In other words, to have that be sort of a swing door, a swing door of I'm willing to be available when others need help, but I'm also willing to listen to myself and how I might also need help. And I feel like this friend is ahead of the game because he's taken in practices of deep breathing and listening to music meditation before he goes to bed. Uh, Some men just absolutely wouldn't do that. So would some women. They'd just be like, no, 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 I got this. You know, I'm a mom. I mean, come on. You think musical meditation is going to take this away, these worries away, this crisis away, this drama away? I mean, it's easy for us to think that way. But what happens when we're just a little more willing to look at our track record, to reflect back on how we've been, to be grateful that we're not in the absolute thick of the crisis and to refine whatever we have done before to help us with crisis now. What might we do? I really want to emphasize, keep that willingness open, that willingness to be called on, but also to know there are people around you that you can call on. I can't believe how fast this show is going. we got to take another break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about ways that we can resist adding to what's already a time of crisis and chaos. Stay with me. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Place with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Kids are full of energy, but keeping them active in their teen years can be a challenge. Aim for an hour of physical activity every day. If they like sports, that's a great place to start. Keep the focus on fun, not winning, and encourage your child to do a variety of activities. If your child isn't meeting that 60-minute goal, gradually increase their activity in ways they enjoy. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. Their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. You've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. You have to carefully monitor your health for the rest of your life. And you have an increased risk of developing cardiovascular disease. Take two, action. You've been diagnosed with a new purpose, to fight for the amazing life you've made for yourself. To look that risk of heart disease square in the face and say, no, not me. You've been given a new opportunity to live. Get started at nodiabetesbyheart.org. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. I'm your host, Coach Debbie. And today, my purpose here is to help you through the crisis and the chaos that your fictional characters might be creating 
in your books and your blogs and your stories or that the real people in your life might be up to or maybe you're even up to. I want to talk about how you might resist adding to what is already chaotic and crisis building. You know, characters in books can go very, 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 very deep into crisis. It doesn't really matter if the crisis is big or if it's, if it's small. Because it's in a book and we get to read it, it, it often feels even bigger to us than it would if we were going through it in our own real lives. You know, we get swept up into the story, the, the bigness feeling of chaos. But I want to tell you, a lot of that is because when we're reading, the chaos is right here with us. And we're, we're constantly, when it's our real life, we're expecting ourselves to know what to do next. But when we're reading something that is chaotic or crisis building, we give all that power to the author. I'm finding right now the authors I'm coaching, some of them are in a a real pickle right now while they're saying, I had no time and no problem leading my characters into this crisis. But now I'm not quite sure how to get them out of it. (laughs) And and that's, that's missing, to some degree, the ability to just be in it with that character. You have to have that vision, but you also have to kind of be in it without that knee-jerk reaction of making it bigger and bigger and bigger. Just be there. Reflect on it. Look at some of the patterns around that character or person And help lead them away from it. Lead them away from what is too much. I can tell you that sometimes sometimes real panic will set in. Oh, with any story, whether it's real or fictional, where there's coming of age, there's, there's crisis and drama... Because the person who is coming of age, usually um, usually a teen, or, or just the person who is still in their teen mindset, regardless of how old they are, uh, they, they often feel like the world is just too big. They feel like maybe even the world is just too dull for them. You know, so boring here. Or they'll feel like the world's a little backwards or... Often, often characters or, or just real-life people that we know, coming-of-age people, uh, they just expect an awful lot out of life. And that, that's because they're in this time where they're full of judgment. It's not a bad thing. It, it's just part of that time. They're, they're constantly wide-eyed with judgment and analysis and it almost looks like they have a relentless like dissatisfaction and so they find themselves in chaos and they think they're never going to get better they they think sometimes that 
unless they they turn to total activism or they just completely disappear out of out of world events and um just become the loner and drive off somewhere that that's the only way they're going to know the freedom that they once had the freedom the connection of their young soul it's often a coming of age issue and what's interesting is when people go through a midlife crisis they go through that coming of age issue again or when they lose their job or a divorce or the money goes flying out the window it's like a coming of age all over again and the temptation is to add to that crisis oh how many times have i done it <laughs> i i really don't want to admit that can we just say a lot yeah a lot but i thought about when when were some of my real coming of age stories i'm drinking water here thanks for being patient with me when were some of those stories and i reflected on one i went back to my journal to see if i could find it there i started keeping a journal when i was 10 and at least as a young person i wrote a lot i had especially write when i was in crisis so i had a sense that i might be able to find this real life <laughs> i'm laughing at myself but it at the time it was the biggest crisis in the world it it just seemed like the pandemic that we're facing now and it was i'm just going to tell you the story because i i think it'll help you with the notion that there are ways to come out of crisis whether you lean in to a mentor whether you reflect on your habits whether you decide to get refinement of what you've done in the past whether you just commit to the idea that you're not going to add to making it worse uh i just want to share this story and hopefully you will relate to it as well there there was this time <laughs> there was this time when i was 19 years old and we had just finished the christmas holidays and i was working in retail sales every single word i'm telling you here is true and i i really had to sit myself down and go be really vulnerable with your your audience debbie just tell them the truth they can handle it so i i'm 19 years old and i'm i'm working at a very traditional retail jobs what 19 year old girls often do when they have minimal skills i've got my first apartment it's you know the size of an average garage and i don't even think it was that big and and i'm living very minimally but we've just come through the christmas holiday and i am being recognized at my job as top sales person and i'm so excited about this cuz honestly i i really wasn't a person who ever won status you know i i wasn't familiar with being noted as first place or top or that kind of thing so i was telling the whole world 
I was telling everybody I knew I'm ta- I got top salesperson during Christmas season. Now we're back to work. It's January and our hours have been cut. And we're not seeing many people walk through that front door, but hey, I'm top salesperson. I'm not worried about my job. We we have a day when we actually close just teeny bit early to get some training. And I couldn't find it in my journal, but I believe it was about shoplifting. <laughs> and I was going through the training just as everyone else was, but I was sitting there gloating that I was top salesperson. And something was said about shoplifting, and I made a comment that everyone had shoplift at least once in their life. I made some comment along that line because it was true in my life. I had as a really young kid stolen mints from the store. And as a teen, uh, a friend and, and I, once we, we stole clothes from the store and got away with it. And both times, um, I had to live through a very mortifying feeling afterwards And that was kind of my refinement stage of, you know, I did this um, and I'm shameful of it, but I, I feel no need to do it again. So there I was in that job and I made some comment about it. And boy, I got taken, pulled aside and I was given quite a talking to. It was not pretty. I was feeling the crisis and the chaos kind of rising up in my system. I was feeling pretty anxious, and I went home, and the notion that I was top salesperson couldn't comfort me anymore. I started to worry about my job, and I was thinking about the fact that we were working all these hours during Christmas season, and now we were really, really working limited hours And I walked into work the next day, and I wasn't on the floor very long before one of the top people pulled me aside and into the office and told me what I had said at the training was completely uncalled for, and I was fired. And wow, I I didn't know what I was going to do. I went from gloating that I had been top salesperson to falling into a place of anxiety. I fell into a place of feeling completely shameful and isolated. And it was almost as if I was becoming this character in my own life. I was sort of looking at myself at a glance. I I was sitting in one corner of the room, almost looking over at myself in the other corner of the room going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You only have so many dollars. This is your only job. You're supposed to be a responsible 19-year-old adult. And I thought about telling my parents, and then I thought about not telling them. And I thought about, you know, asking everyone I knew to get me a job. And then I thought about not doing that. And I, I was really going through it all by myself, truly kind of rationing out the dollars, thinking about how I was going to take care of myself with 
the little bit of money I had and what I knew to be so true was that I had to get a job and work enough hours to pay the next month's rent. There was no one in the world I felt I could go to to ask for the next month's rent. Now, it might not have been true. It might have been that there were people all around me that were willing to help. But at the time, I believed I was going through this alone. There was no one to ask. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do but to just suck it up and find the answer and find it quick. I really felt alone. I really felt isolated. The good news is that I'm a really motivated person, and I was out the next day pounding the pavement for work, even though it was January, even though it's not the best time to get hired. And so I did feel like I fell fell into a place of action, and I applied for work. And I kind of believed somebody, 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 might hire me, but in the back of my mind was still that panic. And a friend called me up. She was a high school friend. I know the story's getting long, but hang in there with me. She was a high school friend, and as we like to say, she kind of lived on the other side of the tracks. She lived on the good side. <laughs> she was from a, uh, she lived in a house that had like a four car garage. I mean, How many people have a four-car garage? She also lived in a house that had a pool. You know, uh, how many people in Seattle, Washington, have an outdoor pool? No one. She was the only person I knew who had a pool. And I don't know why she decided to be my friend, but she did. And she had kind of a, a difficult mother. Uh, sort of a mother who walked around the house in little kitten heels and was always up to activities. And she and her mother had this big thing that they had to do together. And it required that my friend Betsy buy a dress. She wanted me to go with her. And I did. And we're shopping. And her mother and her are fighting. And it's just the same old story. And as all this is going on, it occurs to me that I have a dress in my closet that Betsy would probably fit into. I wore it at my junior prom, and it's occurring to me it might be worth a little bit of money. Now, Betsy comes from a good family. So while she and her mom are fighting, I say, you know, you know that red dress I have that you've always liked? You could wear that. And all of a sudden, Betsy lit up, and we went to my house, and she took one look at that dress And she put 50 bucks in my hands for that dress. I couldn't know it was coming. And just like any crisis and any chaos, something is right in front of us usually that we just don't know is coming. I just want to say to you, believe in possibility right now. You know your circumstances, but keep your heart open. Keep your faith going. Come back here next Thursday and we'll talk more. And until then, stay positive and namaste, my friends. 